kind of makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable watching that. Gives you an image of what it might have been like when Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. We read about this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the early chapters. Uh, Him being alone in the wilderness, and maybe you've never envisioned what that might have been like for him. We show that video because we want to make sure that each of us understands if there's ever a time when you're feeling alone or you're feeling lonely, there's at least one person who understands what you're going through because Jesus has been through that himself. And as we kind of conclude this series on loneliness, uh, we felt like this was an appropriate video to show uh, to capture maybe what it was like for Jesus, but also as an introduction to the season of Lent, which begins this Wednesday. And um, at the end of the service, as you're leaving, we'll have some Lent devotionals that you can, uh, daily devotional that you can pick up if you like. Our ushers will be handing them out. And you can use that as in preparation for Easter. Jesus understands the loneliness that we may feel or that the ones we love feel from time to time. And that image of Jesus in the wilderness uh, also includes the temptations that he went through. And that uh, the biblical writers tell us about the devil coming and tempting Jesus with stones and inviting him to turn them into bread or going to the top of the temple and jumping off and then commanding the angels to protect him or taking him up to the highest mountain in the area and inviting him to bow down and worship uh, the devil or a being other than God, anything other than God. And so for Jesus, there was this voice of temptation. It was a voice of of, um, political temptation to seize control of of his prestige and power. There was the voice of uh, religious temptation, which was really to um, use his status to control others. And there was the economic temptation, which is do what you want to get what you want, satisfy the cravings that you have. Uh, in feeding your belly. And that whole awareness of the voice of temptation that Jesus had is not something that is only back then. It's something still today that we all experience the voice of temptation. The voices in our world that are inviting us to certain things and certain behaviors. And one of those voices that all of us are tempted with is what I call the voice of individualism. It is the voice that tells you that you are the only one that matters, that you are in control, that you need to look out for yourself, that you will be the person who determines whether or not you succeed in this life. And those voices come in all kinds of forms hundreds of times a day. Be your own person, chart your own path, travel the road, you can do what you want. Be the person you were meant to be. You earned it. You deserve it. And those voices come at us again and again and again and again. And what they reinforce is this mentality within us that we are entirely alone responsible for who we are and how we live in this world. And just like that, Jesus feeling 
alone in the wilderness, having that voice of temptation, I think for many of us, there's this onslaught of an attraction to individualism. And it is particularly um, prevalent in our Western society and Western cultures. We are a very individualistic society. And as you read the, the researchers, the psychologists, the sociologists, even the anthropologists, they will bring up uh, study after study showing how individualism is having an impact in our world today particularly in the area of loneliness, that increasingly people are feeling lonely. People are living alone. They are disconnected from each other. And that is prevalent everywhere. And two, two weeks ago when I was here, we looked at one stat that said one in five Canadians are lonely. If we looked at the New Life poll, it would have been about one in three. And so we would have said, like, if this whole section was filled, we'll probably pick this one here today. This one here would represent all of the people that are probably struggling with some level of loneliness in this room right here. That's a lot of people. And they represent what is happening all through our region. We're in this leisure community where people come up to enjoy themselves. And yet there are countless people in our community that feel like there's nobody else for them in their life. And we all continue to live out this voice of individualism in our heads. And we try to live in a way, hopefully, that counteracts that. See, the ancients understood the value of community. And in the, in the biblical books, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Genesis, first book, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, chapter two, we read about the story of creation. God creates Adam. And Adam literally means the human. And then in chapter two, God, after he creates Adam, says it's not good for the human or for Adam to be alone. So God creates someone to be with him. And there's this recognition that we were made for community. We were created, we were designed for community. Not isolation. And yet the voice that we continually hear repeatedly each and every day over and over and over again is to live for yourself because you are responsible and only you are responsible for your life. And I think the ancients and even other cultures in the world today look in on that and say, there's something inherently wrong with that, with that framework. Because it leads to things like the increase in people being alone and a variety of other things. The Apostle Paul, who was this church planter, he was a writer, he was an orator, he was uh, a traveling Preacher, He was a, a phenomenal leader. He wrote to a group of Christians in a city called Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And they were dealing with this very same issue. People were, were living in the sense that this is me, and I need to take care of my world. And when they were coming together, uh, there were all these problems being created. And Paul wrote this letter to them. And in chapters 9 and 10 and 11, as he's writing, he's encouraging them about the value of seeking the benefit of other people. 
And then you come into chapter 12 when he begins to talk about uh, how the community, the church, actually is meant to function like a human body. And so I want to read from verses 12 to 27 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you'd like a Bible to follow along, raise your hands and the ushers will bring you a Bible. We're not going to put the whole thing up on the screen. Um, So I'm going to invite you to listen or to follow along in your own Bible as I read. So Paul's been talking about how God gives gifts to people to help the body function well. And then in verse 12, he writes this, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles or non-Jewish people. Some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, well, I'm not part of the body, I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, well, does that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. I love this part. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. And while the more honorable parts do not require this special care... So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. And this makes for harmony among all the members so that the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. So Paul takes this wonderful metaphor of the body And he says, just like a body functions, this is very much uh, a way of understanding how Christian community functions. And it's interesting. He talks about community. He talks about diversity. He talks about unity. But he starts with community. So the very first verse there, he says the human body. He starts with the body. And I think that's an encouragement for us as we read passages like this to see the value of starting with the community or the body first rather than starting with the individual. In this passage, Paul talks about the body, the larger collection, 17 times in those few verses that I just read. Over and over and over again, he is emphasizing the value of the body or the value of the community. And his encouragement is for his listeners, for his readers to see themselves in the context of the community. So you start with the body or you start with the community. When we read this passage, some of you will have read this, and even as I was reading it, you probably found yourself asking the question, which part am I? And most people are probably thinking, well, I'd like to be the ear, or I'd like to be the eye, I'd like to be the nose. Like some of you are thinking, oh, I want to be the bicep because I'm strong, you know. I doubt many of you were kind of wondering, like, I'd really like to be the liver. 
I'd like to just filter out all the poison. You know, or there are other body parts that we might not mention. Nobody thinks about being one of those. And yet, they are part of the body. But when we read it, we're thinking about ourselves and what role we play. And a lot of what we're reading about this is, is really about, you know, what's my thing? How do I fit? What do I get out of this? And yet the whole time, Paul is encouraging us to read it in the context of the body and how the body actually defines uh, the individual. Because we don't know our place, we don't know our identity, we don't know who we are outside of the context of the body. So the emphasis is on the community. And, and actually, this pushes back against the way that we live. This pushes back against the way that we want to read our Bibles. Did you know that the majority of times when you're reading your Bible, particularly the New Testament, and you come across statements that talk about you are, or you can, or you should, or whatever it is, we often read it individually, but in the original language, it is almost always plural. So it's much better to be translated like we and us. Jesus loves us. Jesus died for us. We can do this. We can be this. We have received this. As opposed to you and I and me, it's very plural. And so Paul intentionally here, I think, is saying, start with the community. And then see your diversity within it. So the body or the community defines the individual. And yet we need the individual parts. You know, Paul says if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? We're not all, we're not uniform. It's not like you join a community and everybody becomes the same. We know that's not true. And Paul is just saying it's the same, the very same thing with the body. Each part brings, brings a strength brings an element to the body that adds to the diversity, which actually increases the health and increases the strength, increases the dynamics of the overall unit or the whole. But it is always in connection with the body. And so diversity doesn't make sense apart from the community that the diversity exists within. And so the community precedes the individual, but the community actually defines the individual. It makes sense. If you were walking along the road and you saw like a lump of flesh with some stuff in it and a hard bit on the end, you'd be like, I don't know. But when you were looked down and pick it up and you held it up to your own body, you'd realize, oh, that's a finger. I don't know why you would find a finger on the road if you were going for a walk, but I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> that the finger, we know what a finger is because of its relation to the rest of the body. And so the body brings uh, a definition to the individual. So if you look at verse 20, what Paul writes here, there are many parts, but there's one body. And so diversity is best understood in the context of that one body. So Paul uses some examples here. Well, if this body part, and I think uh, in this case he's talking about the um, the foot. If the foot says, well, I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, 
does that make it any less a part of the body? Of course not. And then down a few verses, as you get into verse 18, you know, um, this body part, like the, the head can never say to the foot, I don't need you. So this kind of brings us back to this idea of loneliness. Because if a body part says, well, I don't feel like I'm part of the body, does that make it less a part of the body? And I think that's a word worth hearing. Because there are people that are here, there are people in our community that do not feel like they belong. And you might be here today and you feel like, I just don't feel like I fit in here. I don't, I don't have connections. I don't belong. And, and there's this, we have to rectify that, but you also need to hear that doesn't make you less a part of the body. That doesn't make you less a part of the community because you feel like you're not connected. You are still part of the community. But then there's this idea about the foot can't say, or the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. And that's this idea about the behaviors that we take on that actually make people feel excluded, make people feel like they don't belong. And when a body is functioning well, every part has its role, feels like it fits. And then we know about diseases where from the head down, something happens an injury or a type of disease that actually starts to restrict and exclude certain body functions and body parts and body parts that aren't used wither up. I had my arm in a cast for eight weeks. You all know that because you saw that. And I'm amazed still at the recovery from the fact that I wasn't able to use that part properly. And I think Paul has a good word here to the Christians that were hearing him for the first time because they were living in ways that some people felt like they were being excluded or they weren't actually being included. And it wasn't even if that it was an intentional thing. It was just things that were happening. And I think it's a good word for community to ask the question, how are we functioning so that everyone feels like they belong? And of course, as a community, we ask that question and then we bring that back to the individual because the diversity is, is important within the community. We're, I'm, I'm really drawing out of the text here how I think uh, the kingdom of God pushes back against the voices that we hear every day, which says, put the individual first. And the kingdom of God is to seek the benefit of others ahead of your own, which is counterintuitive. And yet if everybody's doing it, it actually makes for a very healthy community. And yet the individual is still important. Even though it's you plural often, there are still you singulars. Jesus tells a story about the shepherd leaving to find the one sheep. The father comes out to greet the one son. The individual is still important because it brings the diversity within the community. But not to be putting that at the extent of losing sight of the community. And so as we kind of move through the passage, Paul then moves into this whole idea about, about unity. There's community and diversity within the community, but when there's a proper perspective, then everything begins to fit into place. When the community is seen as of, uh, of the value that it offers to the individual, and the individual understands uh, that they belong to that community, then unity begins to happen people begin to feel cared for. And not only do they feel cared for, but they feel like they have the opportunity to give care. And if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about loneliness. What is loneliness? It is when somebody doesn't have a mutual relationship of giving and receiving. 
It's not a one-sided thing. If people just give to me, then I'll feel like I belong. No, people need to feel like they can contribute. So there's this mutuality of giving and receiving that actually adds to the health, that adds to the unity of the body. And if you're feeling like you're one of those body parts that isn't getting proper attention, Paul's addressing it here and saying when there are certain situations, body parts, individuals need extra care, extra protection, extra honor. When we talked about solitude two weeks ago, I introduced this idea of solitude. And I said solitude actually may be a very good way to help you uh, work through your loneliness. And I think some people were going, I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Because solitude allows you to step aside and ask the questions, why am I feeling this way? What is going on? It allows you to address in a very um, productive way what's happening. And solitude doesn't have to be going away by yourself for a long period of time. Although solitude retreats or solitude days are actually a very healthy spiritual practice, it can simply be five minutes at the end of your day to step out or five minutes at your lunchtime to step out of the craziness of your world and just to center yourself back into, with your creator. Solitude is one way of limiting loneliness. That's something that you can do. Community is the other way of limiting loneliness, and that's something that we do. And I think that's the value of what Paul's drawing out here. Now, he doesn't say it in this passage, but as we read through it, it talks about us being Christ's body. And in other passages, like in Ephesians chapter 4, I think verses 15 and 16, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, he also talks about about the church being Christ's body, but then he said Christ is the head. So Christ is the head of his body, the church. And when the body is functioning well, it grows up into maturity and health, and it isn't, it isn't um, drawn away into things that would harm it. That's the Ephesians passage. Christ is supreme over all things. He is the head of his body, the church. Everything comes out of the head. So two weeks ago, or yeah, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, the head is an amazing thing. The brain is a, is a wonderful thing. I like to joke about the size of my head. I have a kiss head. So if you live in my hometown and you see me and you don't know who I am, but you know the kisses, you will pick up very quickly that I'm a kiss because of the, the pumpkin. But inside this pumpkin, there's this amazing thing called a brain. My wife, Claire, tells me all the time how amazing my brain is. So <laughs> she's not here. She's with the kids, so, so she won't know. We'll keep that our little secret. <laughs> but the brain is this amazing thing. And the, the reptilian brain that controls things like breathing, um, our heart pumping. We don't even have to do anything. It's just, it's just making the body work. And then the conscious things that we do. It's fascinating. All the body is connected back to the head. And I love this analogy for this reason. The best way that we can experience Jesus, who's the head of his body, the church, is through community. is through the rest of the body. 
being by yourself and, and being in prayer or contemplation or meditation, doing solitude times, studying the scriptures, uh, all these things are wonderful things that we do on our own. But I believe the best way to experience Jesus is in the context of community. So rather than just reading our Bible and figuring out what we think it means, we get together with other people and we sit down and we gather around the word of God or we gather around Jesus and we hear from one another on what he's communicating. When we are with other people who are different than us, who think different than us, who see differently than us, we are able to experience Jesus through them. If the whole body were an, were an eye, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of sight be? The best way to experience Jesus, to experience God, our creator, is not in nature. It's not in your rocking chair in your room by yourself reading the Bible, though those are good in and of themselves. And I don't want to downplay those. But if they happen to the exclusion of gathering together with the body to which we belong, then we are missing one of the best ways to experience life, to experience faith, to experience the God who created us and who's interested in us because he is the head of his church. Studies are showing over and over. Um, actually, before I do that, I want to tell you a story. Johan Hari, I refer to his book, Lost Connections, in I think it's chapter seven or chapter nine that talks about lost connections with other people. Um, he quotes from a guy named Sheldon Cohen, and, he, and Sheldon did this study. This is about unity and the power of, of community for the health of a body. And, and you'll see where I'm going with this. He did this test, an experiment, with people's permission. Uh, he asked all of them before they did the test what their friendships were like. Did they have strong connections with a few people? And, uh, and so some did, some didn't. Many were very lonely. Others had lots of great personal connections. And then he exposed all of them knowingly and intentionally with their permission to the cold virus. And he wanted to see how people reacted to that. And people who were lonely, didn't have any good connections, were three times as likely to get sick with the cold. And another scientist took that and did some more experiments and found that people that are lonely, don't have good meaningful connections, are uh, several times more likely to die early than those who do. Study after study after study is showing how people are increasingly feeling lonely. And people like Johan Hari are writing this book saying, here's all the things we can do uh, to combat this. And, and I smile as I read through the book because I realize um, the church, even other religions, have had the antidote to this for thousands of years. And it's the value of being together in community. And in our case, when we invite people um, and we want to we understand uh, what it means to follow Jesus, the best way we experience him, the best way that the, the body uh, has an experience of life and meaningfulness and identity is through the head, Jesus.
I just think we need to be much more intentional about how we, how we address the loneliness in our community. It's much like any other issue that's in society. We hear about it, we know about it, we think, eh, whatever. But it's intentionality that actually um, translates into things happening. And so if there are people that feel like, well, I'm not this, so I don't belong to the body, then we have a responsibility to offer extra special care and attention. And we may not feel like that. We may not even think that we agree with them. But that's how they're feeling. Or there might be things that we're doing that actually is creating uh, for some people to feel excluded. And it's just a, a way of paying attention to it. So here's the questions that I would ask. You know, as you think about your life, as you read this text out of Corinthians, how are you living your life in light of what Paul is writing here in chapter 12? How important is the body or the community for you? What habits are you forming? What lifestyles are you living that shows an understanding of what Paul is writing here in Corinthians 12? What practical things can you do can we do to combat some of the loneliness that people are experiencing? See, we have this wonderful opportunity to show the world how to combat loneliness, and that's by living as the body of Christ. And so my invitation to us, my encouragement to us is actually um, to embrace a fresh understanding of what it means to be part of the body and to have a new, invigorated, fresh way of understanding what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to experience Jesus, what it means to have a joy in life that we hadn't previously experienced. There is one body and we are all part of it. Amen. I want to know if there are any questions on anything that was said this morning. So we have um, someone with the phone that you can text your question in or you can raise your hand and ask a question. And wondering if we dialogue a little bit about some of what we've talked about with loneliness. So Lisa, you're coming up, so I'm assuming that there is a question. One question. Okay. Hurry up. Type in some other ones. <laughs> How about you ask it for now, and then I will repeat it. Perfect. Uh, being an extreme introvert, I find it outside my comfort zone to be in a large social yes. community. Yes. Yes. What are some ways I can be involved in community as an introvert? Thank you. Being an extreme introvert, I find it uncomfortable to be involved in large groups of people. So how can I be involved as an introvert? I uh, thank you for asking that. I'm so glad that you asked that. I'm married to an extreme introvert, and um, yeah, like some some people like me who teach for a living, they also are extreme introverts. I'm not. I'm an extrovert. I love parties. So when we have a party at our house, I am so jazzed before the party happens, and my wife is like, oh, "Okay, here we go." And then the party ends, and I'm totally bummed. Like, I, great, now I have to clean up. <laughs> and Claire is just 
hopping and skipping. And so, so I understand this question because it's a lived reality for me. And I don't say that to make fun of introverts because I think, um, I think our world, another voice in our world is that extroverts um, are the best way to be. And that's just simply not true. We are wired the way we're wired. And, and introverts don't mean quiet. Introverts just mean people who are drained by community. So as an introvert, even an extreme introvert, I would, I would just ask the question, like, are there people in your life that you enjoy being with? And when it comes to the body of faith, can you make it a, a commitment to be with them? You see, the body of Christ, here's this weird thing. The body of Christ is the global church. We can't participate in the global church. How? I mean, as an entity, we can, and we can send representatives and blah, blah, blah. But then there's the church in, in Georgian Bay. We can't participate in the church in Georgian Bay because we can't be with everybody all the time. Then there's New Life Church. Well, we can gather on Sundays, and there's something about weekly, daily rhythms with community that's very helpful. So we come in, and then we, and then we come out. We come in, we come out. But even within that, we break it down into smaller groups. And depending on your level of comfort, maybe the group like this is just a really difficult thing for you, and you're out the door as soon as it's over because you're peopled out. There's nothing wrong with that. But you came because you see the value of the community. But maybe there's two or three others that you just really appreciate who are different than you. You appreciate doing life with them and following Jesus with them. And so I don't think that it means we have to be at everything or we have to participate in everything or that we have to enjoy being in a large group. So I'm really glad that that question was asked because there are people like me, the bigger the crowd, the better it is. The more noise, the more hype, woohoo, love it. But even people like me need times of quietness. And if you're one of those people that just requires more of that, then be who you are. But do it in the context of community. I have one more here. Um, does this not also apply to the family unit, where proximity makes the idea of appreciating the body very hard? Yes, does this apply to the family unit where proximity makes the idea of appreciating the body very hard? Yes, when we are far away, um, if I'm understanding the question right, um, proximity makes it easier to be part of the body, which is partly why we offer experiences through home church in places like um, Wasega Beach, or Clearview, or Blue Mountains, because it's not always easy uh, to get here. Um, and similarly with families, the family unit, um, that would apply the very same way. So we do live in a world where people are spread out, which actually raises this whole question about the importance of our spiritual family as well as our blood family and how both can be a wonderful part of our lives. Okay. I want to read a, a bit of scripture for us as a way to finish our time together. It's from Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Paul writes that Christ gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. 
their responsibilities to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then he writes this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's like that voice of temptation we were talking about at the beginning. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And I pray today that you would experience that health and that wholeness through being part of the body of Christ and the local expression of it here that we just happen to call new life. May you enjoy God's blessing, his presence, his love, his spirit, and his joy as you finish your day. In the name of Christ, amen.